where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of The Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? energy right now feels incredibly intense to me. (laughs) Maybe it does to you too. I was just talking with my therapist this morning about the events of the past three years, and it came home to me how much of a pressure cooker I have personally been living in, and I believe we have been collectively living in. Things are accelerated. Tensions are high. Divisions are deeper and more delineated than they've ever been in my lifetime, and maybe in yours too. What is this asking of us? I feel like the arc of this podcast has been both the esoteric and the deeply practical. How are we as a microcosm affected by the macrocosm? And that is where our power lies. That came up in my trauma therapy this morning too. How I can't go to Congress and make them listen to each other. I don't have that power. I'd be arrested. But I can learn to listen deeply in confrontational situations in my own life, in my home, in the workplace. And that modeling of a different type of behavior, both inside myself and in my relationships, ripples out to make a difference in the world. And for today, that's something I have control over. And that's a place I can put my focus. So here we are, earthlings, incarnated on a blue dot, spinning wildly through space, only held onto the surface of this planet by gravity and magnetism, in a razor-thin atmosphere that allows us to breathe and have protection from the radiation of the sun and the freezing vacuum of space. In this miracle of being alive on this verdant paradise, and over and over we choose strife and suffering instead of looking at the miracle of all of it. And the strife and suffering that we have chosen through eons is lodged in our bodies through epigenetics. And we're waking up to the reality of all of that. It's like our eyes are blinking open at the crest of this wave of history and we're looking around and looking at each other and saying, oh my God, how did this happen? How did we get here? Where are we going? We're currently in the midst of an eclipse portal between a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse. Our lunar eclipse is on May 16th on the full Scorpio moon. Aries is now home to Pluto, I'm sorry, is now home to Jupiter as Jupiter begins a new 12-year cycle. To get an idea of the flavor of that cycle for you, look back to 2010, 2011. What was going on in your life then? We are revisiting that curve of the spiral of the staircase of evolution from a higher level 
because it's 12 years later, but what was going on for you at that time in your life? And how might that theme be presenting itself again here and now? We continue to be in the midst of the Pluto return in the United States. And power and authoritarianism are on the table. Human rights, women's rights are challenged. Stewardship of resources is a major theme. And we have this full moon lunar eclipse in Scorpio, which rules money, inheritance, that which is hidden. We're in a really highly potent energetic time. We're also in a really active solar cycle. So the sun is super active, sending out solar um, weather that impacts our life here on earth, intensifies the storms, the earth herself is um, sending out a lot of energy through her own um, magnetism. It just feels like the cosmos and the, the sort of energetic soup that we live in is just turning up the volume. And it's a time where we're meant to make a leap, sort of like revving the engine on a rocket ship before we propel into a new atmosphere. I've been having the Eight of Wands come up in readings personally for members of my collective and for clients lately. The Eight of Wands is this higher iteration of the Emperor energy, where the Emperor brings us safety and structure and and holds the energy of the number four. And the Eight of Wands is this energy of propulsion, moving past the foundation of safety into a new adventure, traveling into a higher octave. So it seems like a really perfect representation for the kind of energy we find ourselves in now. And it reminds me that we really do need a foundation of safety before we can push off into the unknown. And I think that's why so many of us are being called to heal our trauma so that we can find safety in the vehicle of this body before we leap into the next evolutionary phase of what it means to be human. As I work to navigate safety in my own life, I turn to the plants because that to me is the most reliable teacher for anything I'm trying to learn. Plants have had millions of years of more time to figure out the same obstacles that we are trying to figure out as humans on this planet. I've been turning to the plants and asking them about safety. What does it mean to be safe to them? And what strategies have they developed to stay safe on this planet as they've continuously evolved throughout time here? Some plants have chosen uh, different types of defenses to protect themselves from being injured or eaten. Some of those defenses are mechanical defenses like thorns or trichomes. Stinging nettle or Urtica dioca has trichomes, which means it has these little tiny needles, like needle-like appendages um, on the stems and leaves that actually 
inject formic acid into the tissues of anything that tries to eat this plant. A really practical method of self-protection. Brambles, raspberries, roses, um, autumn olive, locust trees, all of these hawthorn trees have developed thorns that have grown out of their bark are out of their stems, also on their leaves, to prevent being eaten. These are physical defenses. Plants also employ chemical defenses, and the formic acid that are shot out of the trichomes of nettles is a form of chemical defense. Plants sometimes uh, exude a smell like skunk cabbage that can be a deterrent, a noxious deterrent. Or Bradford pear, which is a noxious deterrent to us, but is like the dinner bell for flies, which is their chosen pollinator. Other forms of chemical deterrent are toxins or poisons, um, like the toxins inside of poison hemlock or conium maculatum, the toxins in henbane, the toxins in datura, or foxglove, or monkshood. These are chemical deterrents to prevent being eaten. Some plants have developed other strategies where they sort of admit defeat, they're going to be eaten. How do they survive being eaten? Some plants survive being eaten by having a robust root network. This is especially obvious in the plants that reproduce rhizomatically. So the roots are very prolific and they are capable of moving underground and shooting up a plant out of the same root system, out of the rhizome, but in a different location. If you're familiar with plants like Japanese knotweed, that entire stand of knotweed, which can be acres in size, shares one rhizomatic root system. The same with trees like sassafras or autumn olive or staghorn sumac. They have a robust interconnected root system that ensures survival of the organism, even if parts of the organism that appear to be individuals are destroyed. But overall, plants have this group think sort of mentality where their energy is put into personal defense, but also heavily invested in group survival. And that happens through the proliferation of their progeny. So the dispersal of seeds or the um, spreading of rhizomes, as long as the plant continues to propagate its progeny, it is successful in, in survival. And this is safety for the species, safety for the organism, playing the long game. If a plant is feeling stress, drought, disease, it will speed up its reproductive process so that it will proliferate more quickly. It will flower, fruit, and seed as quickly as possible to ensure the successful survival of the species, even if the individual cannot survive. So there's safety in defense. There's safety in uh, community. And there's safety in the long game. And so that makes me think as a human, how are we doing that? 
how are we um, defending ourselves appropriately and what means are we using to do that? How are we edifying community and by what means are we doing that? And how are we looking to the future? And it's also obvious that plants do not become obsessed with their safety or their defense. They can't. They can't grow thorns at the expense of flowers. Both are necessary for their strategy. They can't grow noxious chemicals at the expense of attracting their pollinators. So there's a balance in all things, and the plants teach us balance so beautifully. So how do we defend our lives, our freedom, ensure our safety, but not obsessively, where we actually amputate our ability to experience life, to attract the beings that we need to grow and and survive and thrive? In my own personal life, it seems to me that safety comes from deeply understanding the ecosystem of which I am a part. A plant grows in the ecosystem that is hospitable to its thriving. And so as another interrelated species on this planet, How do I discern the ecosystem that most supports my thriving? This is a matter of safety for me. Because if I sprout in an ecosystem that is harsh to my needs, I will not thrive. And all of the energy that I put into my defenses will be worthless because I won't have the building blocks I need to even fuel those defenses. So if I'm a swamp milkweed, and I sprout in the desert, there's no hope of my survival. If I'm a saguaro cactus and I sprout in the Amazon rainforest, there's no hope for my survival. So as a human on the earth, what ecosystem do I find myself in? And does it match what I need to unfold? And if it doesn't, what is my strategy of dispersal? How can I move myself into the ecosystem that is a match for what I need and who I am and who I'm becoming? And in this ecosystem I find myself in, what are my strategies for protecting my own needs so that I can contribute to my community? What are my time boundaries? What are my energy boundaries? What do I need to feel well? Do I have access to those things? If I don't, who can I ask for help from? The plants receive help from interrelated species all the time. They call in help from insects. They call in help from fungus. They call in help from herbivores. They call in help from birds. The plants have figured out how to live in community in a way that is mutually beneficial and we can do that too. Because I've been having a hard time figuring out how to skillfully express my needs without oppressing myself or annihilating another person, 
I've called in the help of a therapist who can help me build that skill. Just like the plant who's infested with aphids might call in the ladybug. We need to ask for help and we need to feel safe in doing that. And we need to advocate for systems that support access to help like this. Because here in the United States today, calling in help is harder than it's ever been in my lifetime. Our systems are bowing under the pressure of population growth, inflation, trauma, compounding trauma. We are physically sick. We are mentally exhausted and we are emotionally unwell. And the only way that's going to change is if we start taking responsibility for ourselves and these systems and advocating for change. Communicating what's going on in our inner world with the people closest to us is one of the ways that we can ensure that our needs are being understood. And that is extremely hard for most people. Unlike plants, we can't just release pheromones into the air and be able to realistically expect that the beings around us can read those pheromones and respond appropriately. Instead, we are tasked with the work of translating those inner chemical messages into a code of language and then conveying that code to another human who has their own language code and their own symbolic universe and their own inner chemical composition because of the magic of free will. So all of the plants in a community have an agreed upon code, an agreed upon symbolic universe, an agreed upon set of um, pheromones and chemical compositions that reliably communicate for them because they belong fully unquestionably to each other and to their ecosystem as humans we are free we're free to live in a place where we don't belong we're free to choose to be in relationship with predators we're free to hide our needs and not tell anyone We're free to expect everyone to meet our needs and to hold them hostage, to do that or not. So for us, it's much more nuanced and subtle, which is a glorious experiment here on the earth and an incredible labor for us to figure out how to do this in a way that is life-giving and elevates the whole sphere of life of which we are a part. Instead of turning that free will into the choice to destroy and to conquer and to subdue and to oppress and to dominate. And the seduction to make that choice is always present. And so as we're in this incredibly potent time where the dial is turned up energetically and the choices we make have more consequence 
and the emotions we feel are more amplified. This is the time where we need to slow down and really take the time to evaluate. What am I bringing to this world? Am I bringing it to a place that it can be received? Who are my support systems? Am I communicating my needs to them clearly? Who am I responsible for? Do I know what they need? We belong to ourselves. We belong to our ecosystem. We belong to this wider world. And because of free will, we are required to labor in discernment to understand ourselves and this place where we find ourselves and to choose to act with intention. May we rise to that challenge. Thank you for joining me for the Plant Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Schrader. I'm an herbalist, a mother, a holistic nurse, and a practitioner of the ancient ways. You can connect with me between episodes at therebelherbalist.com or on Instagram and Facebook, The Rebel Herbalist. Thank you for joining me.